Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. But I am so glad to see all of you here today. Um, I'm glad those of you who who remembered last week, um, I, I am thrilled about today. Uh, not because of the game and because the Niners won, which is great, but because I'm thrilled about what we're going to be talking about today. And as you can see, um, I am a fan of the 49ers, have been for pretty much as long as I can remember. I, I was a fan before this year. I was the fan, a fan before the rough days. I was a fan before the good days. And uh, I've always loved this number um, uh, through the years. Probably because it was the it is the number that is the year that I graduated from high school. Stop doing the calculations. It was a long time ago, but this was my number, and I loved all the eighty fives through the years. Mike Wilson in the big early forty nine er years, and then Vernon Davis in the later years, and now George Kittle. Um, and and I love this this theme that the forty ers have going right now. That's on Ken's scarf over there, but it's faithful then, faithful now. Because we had some rough times, but you were faithful then, faithful now. And, and like many of you, um, I've got a bunch of 49er stuff all over my house. And remember, uh, if you were here last week, I said if you brought, bring the weirdest 49er thing that you have, and we're going to have a prize for the person who brings the weirdest thing. So, did anybody bring anything weird? And you can't, bring, you can't point to somebody. See, I knew somebody was going to point at someone. Thanks, Joe. I know. Joe's, Joe's right in there with it. So I brought some things, dude. You're gonna be you're gonna be in trouble later. I brought a, I brought a couple of things from the house that my family has accumulated over the years. Um, Joe, you're gonna have a good time tonight when you get home, aren't you? The first one is this. I love this. I've never actually used it for beer, but it is a beer stein, and I got that a long, long time ago, and I don't remember why. Um, I got this. Which is kind of cool. But as you can see, the water needs to, to be changed. But, uh, <clears throat> but then, you know, I was thinking when I opened this box, I, I thought to myself, what in the world? This is old. But now I'm thinking, he's not, this isn't old. It's supposed to be like that because he's in the fog. Carl. Right? Carl's in there with him. So now I'm not so mad at the person who gave it to me. Um, do you know what this is? No. It's a remote control holder. Yeah, that's weird, right? But by far, by far. Has it ever been used? Yes. Until they started coming out with these big, huge remotes that don't fit in there anymore. But by far, the oddest 49er thing that I have is this. <laughs> this is the weird one. And no, I am not going to wear it all during the service. But um, it's because, you know, for, football season is always during Christmas time. And so this is the 49er elf ears. And I'm convinced that this is for a dog and not for a human because look where the ears are. They're way up there. I've got all this stuff, and, and, and maybe like some of you, I've got this 49er stuff all over my house, because I'm a fan. 
And, and if you would look at them and you walk into my house and, you know, you see like all of my kids wearing jerseys and you look at their closets and they've got the jackets and the sweatshirts and you would say, yeah, this is a house of people who are 49er fans. This is the house of the faithful. Well, a couple of years ago, because we had spent some time in central Florida and it was great for me because when we were living in Florida, the Niners were doing horribly and so I didn't have to watch them. But when we came back, I just thought, okay, I'm home now, and I get to cheer on for my Niners. And so one day, I I remember my son was home from school, and we were watching a 49er game uh, at home. And uh, he was talking to me. uh, We were talking about the Niners, and and he was telling me about these different players. And he said, uh, that is who that was and where he came from and what school he went to or where did we get him from, what other team did we trade for him. And all of a sudden... It, real, it, it hit me. I realized that I didn't know very much about the 49ers anymore. I, I didn't know who many of the players were. I didn't know how they did last year. I didn't know who they drafted. I didn't know anything. And it hit me that I was a fan. But I was not a faithful. It was, it was, it was a very, very painful thing for me to talk about this morning or this afternoon. <laughs> But I think that we all, and the reason I bring this up is because I think we all can fall into that trap of having a bunch of stuff around us and thinking that we know what it is or that we're, we are associated with it, but it's really just around us, but it has nothing to do with us in our daily lives. And for many people who grew up as Christians, one of those things is the scriptures, it's the Bible. If you grew up as as a Christian, if you're a Christian now, I will bet you that you have more Bibles than people living at your house. Right? And there's probably somewhere in your house where there's a stack of Bibles. Some of you stack them this way, some of you stack them this way, but somewhere in your house there's a stack of Bibles. You've got them all over the place, and nobody ever reads them. You have devotionals, you have other kinds of books... Right? You, you look on your phones and you've got the Bible app and, 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 and other, uh, other things. You, you listen to, to Christian music and it's all in your hands right now. In fact, you can go and listen to sermons that are only slightly better than what you're going to hear today. <laughs> or go to concerts and com- be completely surrounded with the trappings of Christianity and not know anything about it. We can be surrounded by things that are associated with Jesus, but still not know who Jesus is. John, who for the last few weeks we've been talking about some of the things that he wrote, one of the things that he said was this. He said that, that, and this is eternal life. Now, listen to the words that he says, because he doesn't say this is the way to eternal life. This is how you get to eternal life. He's saying this is eternal life. You know what eternal life is? That they know you. And he's talking about the Father here. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, what John is saying is, John, who who watched Jesus, who heard Jesus day in and day out for three years, John, who saw the things that that would happen and unfold in Jesus' life, And then after Jesus went back to the heavens that he would see and everything that would unfold 
in the lives of him and his friends. He would look back and write and he would say that, listen, it's not that the point of life is knowing God. The definition of life is knowing God. That's what life is. It's knowing God. Years before this, the prophet Jeremiah would receive from God these words and he would record it like this. He says, this is what the Lord says. He says, don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. He says, but those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me. See, what he's saying is this. He's saying that, listen, you could be the smartest person in the world. You could have governments and, country and, and companies from all over the world trying to get you to work for them because you're the smartest person in the world. Or you could be the most powerful person in the world. You could be the world's greatest athlete. You could be the world's strongest person. Or you could be the heir to the richest family in the world. And all of those things, those experiences that you would have if that was you, the things that would happen in your life if that was you, the things that you would be able to do if that was you, none of those things compare to the satisfaction of knowing who the Father is. And knowing Him. Having a relationship with Him. And listen, here's the interesting thing is that if you talk to any person who has ever tried it, if you talk to any person who has ever compared, who has experienced both the highs that the world has to offer and a true relationship with the Father, they will tell you, every single person who has experienced both, will tell you, hands down, the relationship with the Father is so much better than anything else. There's no one who's ever experienced both that has said, no, the world is pretty good. That's the direction I'm going to go. Because the satisfaction that the world can give you is only temporal. It's only right now. And what we're talking about is is something that is eternal. And so, if we were to ask the average Christian that is walking out of a church this weekend and, and ask them, why did Jesus come? Some would say, well, Jesus came here to show us how to live. And some would say, Jesus came here so that he could die so that our sins would be forgiven. And all of those things are true. And, and what I often tell my, my students when I'm teaching and, and they, they come up with an answer, I will tell them this, that those answers are accurate, but they're not correct. Because if you ask Jesus, why was it he came? In, his, in the scriptures, it says this. He says, listen, I came, I died, I went to the heavens, I'm seated at the right hand of the Father for one reason. And it's so that you would know who the Father is. That you would know and have a relationship with the Father Amen. through me. And he would say that there is nothing in the world that is greater than that. So a relationship with God is the point, is the definition of life. And a relationship with Jesus is the start. The question for us is, how do we get that relationship? Well, it's, this is something that you and I, we already instinctively know this. Because throughout our entire lives, we've been building relationships. And we build relationships exactly the same way every single time. The first step, whenever you meet somebody new, the first step is always to get information. Isn't it? Isn't that the first thing we do when we meet somebody? We exchange names. Where are you from? Where do you live? What do you do? How long have you been here? Right? The, the first things that we do. Even when you're meeting a, a, a person uh, for, as a potential partner. 
right? The first thing that we do is we ask. We say, hey, you know, where are you from? What do you do? Where'd you go to school? We get information. We gather information first. Then the second step is, is after we start the process of gathering information, we make an investment. In other words, we stop going to just the questions of where did you go to school and where are you from and where did you grow up? And we start going to the questions of what do you think about life? What do you think about this? What's your opinion of that? But those things require us to invest. We have to invest time in the other person. We have to invest emotion in the other person. And so we have to make an investment in that other person. And if we are willing to spend the time to get the information, and if we are willing to invest in ourselves to make an investment, then we get to this place where we experience intimacy. But you have to go in that order. You can't go to the third thing first. And, and women, you know this, right? Because many of you have experienced this, that there's some guy, and on the first date, he tells you that he loves you. And it's creepy. Because you can't go straight to in, intimacy unless you start at information. You have to get to know somebody first. And so the same thing is the same thing with our relationship with the Father. That we can't go straight into intimacy unless we know the person that we want to become intimate with. So the first step is information, getting to know the person. The second step is, 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 is making that investment. And the third step is when we finally experience intimacy. So if the first step is information, it's getting to know the person So how do we get to know Jesus? Well, the way that we get to know Jesus is how he revealed himself to us. And that was through his word. And how do we get to intimacy? It's when we place our trust in his word. That when it goes from just words on a page to part of our life. We're going to look at a passage here where the Apostle Paul, who, who if you have never met Paul, or maybSt. you grew up and you heard of Paul as, as, as Saint Paul, um, but Paul wrote many of the books in the New Testament, and Paul would write to one of his friends, one of his younger colleagues. He would write to him, and he would write this to, Thimpe, to Timothy. He would say, "But you." Now, and this is important, because before this passage, before this verse, Paul was telling him that you have to be careful of this. You have to be careful of these people because they're trying to deceive you. They're going to try to change you. They're going to try to pull you away from the things that you know. But he says, but you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. He says you have to be faithful to the things that you've already talked about. And the way that this, ver- that this verse is, is when you read it in the original language, the way that he uses that but you is, it's like you're pushing up against a wall. That you have to resist the force that is coming at you. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. See, Paul was saying, this wasn't something that you just made up. It wasn't something that I just made up. You got it from me, and I got it directly from Jesus. You know that you can trust it. And he says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And the implication here is that what he has been taught, those Scriptures, are not just something that came out of nowhere, but they are a heritage. That they didn't just start with Jesus. That they didn't just start with Paul. 
that they have been an accumulation of the experiences and the writings and the encounters of people with God over the years. And he says, and they have been given you the wis- and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what you and I expect. What you and I expect is that God will say, do good and I will love you, do bad and I won't love you. That is a natural expectation because that defines many of the relationships that we have. In fact, that defines for us many of the relationships that we have had with our parents, the relationships that we have with our children. Because when our child comes up to us with an A, we don't grumble at them. And when the child comes home with an F, we don't celebrate and take them out to dinner. We do the opposite. And so it's very natural for us to look at God and to think to ourselves that God operates the same way. Do good, you're in. Do bad, work harder. When you've got it straightened out, come back. And what Paul is saying here is that, listen, you need to get the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes not by working, not by doing, but what does he say? That comes by trusting, by putting your faith in, by trusting in Christ Jesus. It's not about what you do, it's about who you trust. And then he says this thing, and, 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 and this is... This kind of turns everything into the right direction. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. Now, the first thing that I want to to point out is this. He says, all scripture. Right? He doesn't say, the scripture. Because if he said, the scripture, he would be talking about specifically something that already existed. But you see, Paul understood, and based on the things that that Jesus said, Paul understood that the scriptures were still going to be added on to. That there were foundational teachings of Jesus and experiences of the apostles that people were going to be putting into writing. And so he says, all scripture, what's existing now and what is about to be part of it, all scripture is, and then he uses this word, now we translate it as inspired, But in the Greek, that word is um, a word that means God breathed. God breathed. All scripture is inspired. It's God breathed by God. Now, there's one thing I want you to, 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 to check out with this. Because if you're like me and you like to watch movies... Some of the best and worst movies that I've ever seen are those movies that say that they're inspired by a true story. Have you ever watched a movie that was inspired by a true story and then you know the true story and it's nothing at all like what the movie is? Right? Because it is an inspiration of the story. Look at what he says. He doesn't say all scripture writers are inspired by God. Right? He doesn't say that Paul is inspired by God. He doesn't say that John and Matthew and Luke are inspired by God. He didn't say that the person who was writing was inspired by God. He said the scripture itself is inspired by God. The words themselves are breathed out by God. 
And then he says this. And this, I think, for me, is the most important part of this passage. He says, and is useful. It's inspired and it's useful. When I was, um, when I was younger, um, my, my parents had a, uh, a Bible, and it was a Tagalog Bible. And Tagalog is one of the, is the main dialect of languages in the Philippines. And we had a Bible, and, and it was in Tagalog. And it was absolutely of no use to me whatsoever. <laughs> I didn't understand most of the words. It took me too long to take out the Bible and my English Tagalog dictionary and try to go through one by one and figure out what he was saying. Because in the Tagalog Bible, they don't use conversational Filipino. They use like these really, really deep words. And so that Bible was of no use to me. If the scriptures were written in a way that you and I couldn't understand them, that they didn't make sense to us, that they weren't really practical, they wouldn't be useful. See, what Paul is reminding us is this, is that the scripture, not only is it breathed out by God, but it's useful to you. It's practical to you. It's not a story that you read. It's something that you can directly apply to your lives. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And that phrase, make us, makes us realize, is, is the phrase that you use when you're, when you're talking about looking at yourself in the mirror. And I, I say this all the time. It's of absolutely no use to you to have a mirror. If you walk up to the mirror, smile, there's a piece of spinach in your teeth, and then you just go, okay, and then you walk away. The mirror has done you no good. Because there's still spinach in your teeth. The only thing that makes the mirror practical, that makes it useful to you, is if you look at it, see what's wrong, and make a change. And that's the phrasing that he, the the implication of that phrasing. He goes on to say this, he says, It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The word correct there is the same word that means straight. To straighten us out. Have you ever had a plan, maybe a, a, a place that you wanted to go, a degree you wanted to get, a job you wanted to get, and instead of going directly there, you kind of went over here for a while, you tried out this for a while, you went over there, and eventually you ended up to where you wanted to go, but it took you a while to get there? This is what he's talking about. See, he's talking about about the way that the the correction is not necessarily in changing where we want to be going, but it's in getting us there in a way that's better than the way that we would have done if we were doing it on our own. It gets us to go there straight instead of being all over the place. And then he says this. He He says, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I don't like that phrase, good work. Because when I read that phrase, good work, and maybe this is just me, but when I read that phrase, good work, I think of church work. I think of teaching. I think of serving in the church. You know, that's what I think of when I hear that word, good work. But that's not what Paul's talking about. When he talks about good work, he's not, he's not talking about Uh, church work. I mean, that's a part of it, but that's not central to it. He's not talking about humanitarian work. He's not talking about serving the needy or giving to the poor or feeding the hungry. I mean, it's all of that, and that's all part of it. And that is good work in your life. 
But he's also talking about the good work that you do at work. The good work that you do at school. The good work that you're doing in your family. The good work that you're doing in your marriages. In your relationships. The good work you're doing with your children and your friends. And he says that the scripture is something that God uses to prepare and equip you. To do all of that work in a way that we can look back and say, wow, that was good. That was good. That was good. See, you're equipped so you have the tools to do it. But then you're also prepared so that when the moment comes, you're ready to step in and do it. The first five books of the scriptures, um, the Jewish people, when, when they were first written, and even up to today, they refer to the first five book of the scriptures as the Torah. And the Torah means uh, learning, it means teaching, it means law, it means instruction. And, and those are all appropriate words for it because the Jews believe, as, as many Christians believe, that the word of God is something that, that shows us how to live, um, how to live our lives, and more importantly, how we stay and get and stay connected to God. But the literal translation of the Hebrew word Torah is throw the rock. If you take the word and you translate it into English directly, it is throw the rock. And the idea of throwing the rock is actually a practice that was used by travelers at that time when they were walking along a road at night. Because there were no streetlights. There were no donkeys that had headlights. Right? They didn't have flashlights. Uh, no one, very few people, thought enough to carry a torch. And by the time it was dark, it was hard to find a way to light the torch. And so what would happen is, is that... Um, Travelers would be on the road, and sometimes they would be on the road, and they got caught traveling at night. And they had to keep going. Skies, night skies. They would get caught at night. So what would happen is, is the travelers would be going along the road, and they would get caught at night. Did I say that already? I did. They said it already. And so what they would do is they would do something called throw the rock. They would be on the road, and it would get dark, but they couldn't stop. Because if you stopped on the road, there could be some idiot that's running by on, on, on an animal that's really, really fast and, and would kill you. They didn't want to stop on the side of the road, because if they stopped on the side of the road, they could get robbed. So what they would do is that they would continue to travel on the road, and they would throw the rock. And when they threw the rock, they would listen. And, and if the rock hit water, if they heard a splash, they would know that there was a puddle or a body of water nearby, and they'd know that they'd have to go around it. If they threw the rock, and the rock, and they heard some rustling of leaves, then they would know that there was some, some trees or something ahead of them, and so they would have to move to the left or to the right, because the path obviously diverted to the left or to the right. If they threw the rock and they didn't hear anything, then they knew that it was likely that there was a, a cliff or a ledge there. And so they wanted to make sure that they didn't go there because they didn't want to fall off the ledge. And of course, the, the last thing was, you know, if you threw the rock and you heard somebody yell, ow, 
you start running in the opposite direction. And this primitive method of sonar was the way that the travelers would get through the darkness to get to their destination. And it's interesting because all throughout Scripture, it refers to darkness as being a condition or a place absent the Word of God. That if you don't have the Word in your life, that it's a place of darkness. That if you, if you refuse to look at, at the, the teachings of the Word, that, that they compare that to blindness. That they say that if, if you... One of the things that they talked about was religious leaders who would take tradition and put it above the word of God. And scripture refers to that as people who have no light in them. And all throughout scripture, though, it would refer to the word of God as a light. In fact, in Proverbs, it tells us that the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, it's going to show me where to put my foot so I don't hurt myself. But it also lets me see the direction that I want to go. And so scripture compares and contrasts these two, the darkness and the light. He is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Last week we talked a little bit about the vision for our church and what my commitment was to you and to our church. And so today, as we wrap up this series, um, I want to talk about an invitation for you to make a commitment to you. And that is um, for us to... um, See not just the importance of God's word, but to actually make it a part of our lives. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.